Good morning. We're going to start a new series in the parables of Jesus called Simple Stories, Daring Truths. Simple Stories, Daring Truths. And we're going to look at uh, that parable that is at the centerpiece of uh, the parables of Jesus in all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We're going to look at Luke, uh, pardon me, <laughs> at Mark this morning, chapter 4. I'd like to read the story itself, the first uh, nine verses. And he began to teach again by the sea. And such a very great multitude gathered to him that he got into a boat in the sea and sat down. And the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables and saying to them in his teaching, listen to this. Behold, the sower went out to sow. And it came about that while he was sowing, some seed fell by the side of the road, and the birds came and ate it up. And other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. And after the sun had risen, it was scorched. And because it had no root, it withered away. And other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. Other seeds fell into the good soil, and as they grew up and increased, they yielded a crop and produced thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. There's a lot of difference between listening and hearing. I could have said that, but I didn't. Actually, that was G.K. Chesterton that wrote that. There's a big difference, a lot of difference between listening and hearing. We aren't very good listeners. Okay, I'm not a good listener. Maybe you are. But I'm not the only one who has had a struggle over the years with being a good listener. In fact, Stephen Covey in his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, said most people do not listen with the intent to understand. They listen with the intent to reply. I, uh, I read a, a thought by... Sean Parker Dennison, who happens to be a pastor, and it caught my attention because he was talking about his experience, and uh, his experience on Sundays after the message, and this is what he said. He says, countless times someone says, I loved how you said, and then they tell me things I never even said, and that struck a chord with me. Because people have said to me, I loved your message, 
And then they'll tell me things I didn't even say. Sean Parker Dennison says, well, they heard what they needed to hear. Well, that's the work of God. But there's another side to it too. People don't always listen very well. You know, sometimes I sit out there. I wasn't born up here. And I know it's hard sometimes to listen. All of this here, what Jesus had to say, in fact, we'll be looking at the first 23 verses, considering them, and the whole chapter. Uh, But what Jesus is talking about here is all about hearing. In fact, 13 times the word hearing occurs. In fact, in this simple story, it's sandwiched. The bookends are listen, or it could just as easily have been translated hear. And on the back end, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Harvey McKay recognizes the uh, importance of hearing. He's, a, in my opinion, a popular columnist. At least his columnist is still published, so he must have a certain amount of popularity. Some of you have read his, uh, his column. It's usually in the business section of the newspaper. You can get it online. Harvey McKay is a, a very talented speaker and writer. He has a way of, of you know, just giving it to you in a, in a short, powerful way. He's very deft. But in his column that caught my attention, it was headed, The Other Ten Commandments. And I think that's interesting. I guess I have a vested interest. I love the Bible. So when I hear The Other Ten Commandments, that catches my attention. And I read what he had to say. And he was offering significant advice on the order or importance to businessmen, to entrepreneurs, as Ten Commandments, and one of them was listening. In fact, this is what he said. He said, Thou shalt be a good listener, for only when you listen do you hear ideas different from your own. In other words, he's saying, if you want to be a successful entrepreneur, businessman, take it from me, a success himself, recognized as such. He says, listening is so important because you've got to hear new things. You've got to hear other things. And if you're not hearing and really listening, well, as uh, Stephen Covey said, you're just going to be thinking about your reply and not understanding. In fact, I think hearing is so important that when we give it that importance, um, that's when we hear best. We hear best when we assign importance to the person speaking and what we are hearing. But a lot of times we don't do that. We don't think of it as important or the person we're listening to as important enough to give our full and complete attention. But if we did, if we did what Harvey McKay is suggesting, well, he says we'll win more friends with listening than with our ears. And he says, 
Hearing is one of the five senses, but listening is an art. I think it might even be a science. You know, hearing does make a difference. I think hearing, real hearing, saves. If people listen, marriages can be saved. Feuds ended. Grades improved. Friends made. Mistakes eliminated. World peace achieved. I didn't really mean that last one. I just wanted to see if you were listening. <laughs> but some peace could be achieved, that's for sure. That was the premise, huh? Seriously, for marriages, feuds, grades, friends, mistakes, we've got to hear with our hearts. Not just our ears. Real hearing means understanding. Goethe said, everyone who hears only, let me say that again, everyone hears only what he understands. And that requires hearing with your heart. Are you a good hearer? I've learned, in fact, I made it an aspiration, a quest. Uh, it was years ago, I realized that I just wasn't a very good hearer. And I was suffering in class. I was suffering as a friend. I was suffering as a person. I realized that I was an inadequate hearer. And so I really set about. I became conscious and I took steps to start becoming a better hearer, listener. And I just want to offer you a couple of things. Because this morning I want to talk about hearing, some practical advice and most of all, hearing the Word of God. I also want to talk about parables a little bit because I want us to understand these simple stories with daring truths. If we're to understand the parables of Jesus. And this parable, this simple story, is the parable about parables. It's the, it's the story about hearing. And the, the third thing I want us to talk about is, is the one who is talking, and that's Jesus and what he's talking about, his kingdom. But on this matter of being a good hearer, hearing, and here's just two tips, hearing is an act of love. If you turn hearing into an act of love, it makes all the difference. There's an intention to understand. And there's an intention to discern the heart of the other person. There's an intention not just to be entertained or, you know, be distracted by whatever the person is saying. It, there's an intention to care about that person and possibly offer help if help is needed. So hearing becomes a much more intentional action. And I think it's an action of love. I know God hears me because I know He loves me. Another tip. Hearing is an act of life. For me, hearing is an intention to grow. I hear not just to regurgitate facts or show that the person that I've been listening, but I hear to understand not only that person, but to grow myself and to discern truth. So hearing is really important. And Jesus, this, is, this parable is all about hearing because Jesus wants us to hear Him. Here in the parable, Jesus is saying, our relationship with God and His kingdom depends on hearing Him. And the big idea really is hear with your heart the deep demands. 
of discipleship. Heart. Here with the heart. As I've already alluded. Because Jesus wants to know what happens when His words fall upon you. That's what He's saying to these people in this parable. What happens when you hear my words? What happens when my words fall upon you? Do they find rooting in your heart? And heart, because that is where the thoughts and desires and decisions of life are made. The way heart is understood in the Semitic world, the Bible world, it is not just a place of feeling. It is a place of decisions. It is also a place of thoughts. And often is is used of thinking and used interchangeably with the word for mind. So the heart is really the command center of life. Any word, if it's going to survive, has to find its way to the heart. Because it's in the heart where the navigation of life takes place. Why the word discipleship? Because Jesus is making a claim on our lives when he speaks to us. And when he was telling these parables, he was making a claim on the lives of the listeners. Reception of God's word is maybe something they didn't altogether fathom but I want to talk I'll talk about that in just a minute but receiving what Jesus says as authoritative as important as vital as potential for life change that requires the condition of the heart to be receptive and to be willing to receive it Listening is an attitude of the heart. And this parable and Jesus' parables are calling for our full attention and calling for conversion. Not just transmitting information, but conversion for change. In fact, Craig Keener, he wrote big commentary on Matthew. He writes a lot of big books. But he's a very intelligent. I have a number of his books and I respect very, very much his commitment to the Lord, his scholarship, his wisdom. And he writes with respect to the parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 13 where it occurs. He says, the only conversions that count in the kingdom are those confirmed by a life of discipleship. You could sum up the parable that way. The only conversions that count in the kingdom are those confirmed by a life of discipleship. Better than mine, but... I had to do my own. And so my own is here with your heart the deep demands of discipleship. And we'll talk a little bit more about that as we look at the story, the setting, and the soils. Let's look at the story first. Because parables imitate simple stories. I want to read to you a simple story. It's from the Bible. I'm not going to tell you where it is. right off the bat. But let me just listen to this simple story. There were two men in one city, the the one rich 
and the other poor. The rich man had a great many flocks and herds. But the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb. That little ewe lamb he bought and nourished. And it grew up together with him and his children. It would eat of his bread and drink of his cup and lie in his bosom. That little ewe lamb was like a daughter to him. Now, a traveler came to the city and came to the lodging of the rich man. And he was unwilling to take, the rich man was unwilling to take from his own flock or his own herd to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. Rather, he took the poor man's ewe lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Pretty simple story. A rich man who has many lambs, many flocks, and great wealth entertains a wayfarer, a traveler. And so he extends to him the bounty of his welcome and his hospitality. But he does it at the expense of the poor man who has one ewe lamb. And that ewe lamb is not just a lamb. It is a pet. It is a member of the family. That little lamb lays its head on his lap and loves him and his children. It is a member of the family. But that rich man took it. And he cooked it for a stranger. Now, immediately we know what the story is telling us. It's telling us that we shouldn't take advantage of poor people to do the things that we ought to do out of our own heart. But what I want us to understand is that this story, this simple story, is changed completely and profoundly when its teller, Nathan, who's a prophet, wheels around and points his finger at David and he says, you are the man. Because David was upset just like we are. David saw the injustice. He saw the travesty and the crime that had been committed and the wrong which had been done. But when Nathan said, you are the man, all of a sudden a simple story bore a daring truth. God was speaking to the heart of David. David had violated, violated his trust as a king. And he had taken one of his soldiers, Uriah, and sent him to the front lines of the battle to die because he wanted him dead so that the way would be clear for him to introduce a relationship with his wife that he had seen and desired. 
And now this simple story carries a great truth for David. That's the way parables work. And it's also telling is that not only is it a simple story, but it helps us to understand um, that there's a context for that story. And that parable is more than just a simple story. In fact, this simple story here that we read is telling us this. Only good soil hosts seed that bears fruit. Only good soil hosts seed that bears fruit. All the other seeds fell on soil in which it bore no fruit. Only the one that fell, the seed that fell on the good soil, bore fruit. But there's more to the story than just that. Because if we were standing with Jesus listening, wouldn't we say something like, I mean, tell me something I didn't already know? Especially then. I mean, there, Jesus did most of his public ministry in Galilee. Galilee is a lake, but it's called the sea. It's a big lake. And around Galilee, there are towns. It's a big city of Tiberias. There are other cities, pagan cities, on the opposite side. And it's in this, around this area, lots of agriculture. Tough sowing. Tough sowing of seed. But it's there that a lot of people, besides the fishing, they're sowing all the time. And Jesus tells this story. And he, I'm sure they would say, okay, tell me something I don't already know. Ah, but that's where the this is that kind of character of a parable comes into play. And that brings us to the second point. The setting, parables impart daring truths. Because this story is shaped by circumstances, real circumstances that involve the hearer. And there's a this is that quality to parables. Parables are simple stories when they're telling us a story about something else. And that is the nature of Jesus' parables. How can you know when a simple story is telling you about something else? Well, there are three things that I think are very plain. One is, who is speaking? A man named Jesus. But not just a man. I mean, at, on the surface, he's a prophet, just like Nathan. He's a prophet of God. The people even recognize that. Jesus himself alluded it when he left his own hometown. He says a prophet is not welcome in his own hometown, is not respected, is without honor. And in fact, in Matthew chapter 13, verse 35, Jesus fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet. Quote, I will open my mouth in parables. I will announce what has been hidden from the foundation of the world. Jesus is revealing something in parables. These simple stories that are very, very daring. And they have to do with God. They have to do with us. And that makes them life-changing. A second thing 
Not only who is speaking, but what is he talking about? I chose the Gospel of Mark because there are only three chapters before we get to the parable that we just read. And in those three chapters, if we just go back to chapter 1, Mark orients us. That means he, he, he kind of gives us a vantage point from which to view Jesus properly. Now, I'm not sure all that Jesus, the hearers of Jesus when he was actually uttering those parables saw what Mark allows us to see. But he begins his gospel by telling us that Jesus is in fulfillment to the prophets and to the prophecy. And then at his baptism, he shows us that God responds and speaks to Jesus at his baptism. So not only does Jesus come as the fulfillment of prophecy, but Jesus is confirmed and endorsed by God himself. And then in verse 13, he's driven into the wilderness, into remote places, and there Satan personally antagonizes Jesus. In other words, not only do the prophets foretell of him, does God endorse him, but Satan antagonizes and opposes him. Now that tells us something about the authority of this one Jesus. But what does Jesus himself tell us? Well, in verse 14 and 15 of the very first chapter of Mark, he said, and let's look at it. You only have to turn over a page or two. Let's look at it. Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. It says, after John, that would be John the Baptist, had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God. Now the gospel, if you do not know this, I want you to know it. The gospel means, the word gospel translates a Greek, Greek word which means great news, good news, favorable news. That's important. Jesus is announcing great news. The great news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Wow. That tells you that he has some notion of his authority if he's going to talk about the kingdom of God. That the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God was loaded for the people that lived in that day. And it would be the fulfillment of prophecy. And then he says, what I have to talk about is so important, I'm going to challenge you to have a change of heart. That's what repentance means. It means a change of heart. And he says, it's so important, I'm going to claim that you should believe this. Well, that's pretty strong stuff, don't you think? That sounds like a prophet to me. We know Jesus was more, but I think we need to begin by just trying to have the ear and the perspective of those that were listening to Jesus back in that day that didn't have the benefit of the New Testament or the retrospect of Jesus going to the cross and being raised from the dead. In that day, he went around saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom is near. 
repent and believe this great news. That's a great challenge. And the parables are telling us about the kingdom of God. And so that's what he's talking about. Who's talking? Jesus. We get some sense of his authority. What's he talking about? He's talking about the kingdom of God in a way that is expressly relevant now when he's talking. And who's he talking to? That's the third thing we haven't answered. Who is Jesus talking? Is he talking to kings? Did he go right to the top? Did he get an audience with the president or the high priest? He's in Galilee. In fact, if we were to begin reading at Mark and read those first three chapters, not only would we see amazing opposition to his message from the demonic lackeys of Satan himself, but people from Jerusalem come down. And especially it says, expressly it says, teachers of the law. When you're looking at a map, you always go north. Galilee is north in that sense. It's up. So you go up from Jerusalem. But when you're thinking in terms of the holiness of Jerusalem and the altitude of Jerusalem, everything always comes down, even when you're going north. So they came down from Jerusalem to Galilee to hear Jesus, and they challenge him. In fact, they accused him of casting out demons by the power of Satan. In fact, they said Jesus is possessed with Satan because they recognized this extraordinary power, but they were blind to the fact that God's kingdom, God's reign, God's power was expressing itself in the words and actions of Jesus. Profoundly prophetic. And Jesus was challenging the people. But why was he challenging them there? And this is the extraordinary thing. Do you ever, do you ever use Google Earth? I love Google Earth. I really enjoy it. I don't use it every day. I don't love it so much that I make time for it. But when I need it, I love it. And you know what? You start out, you're looking like at a continent. And you go, well, I want to go to this little place. You know, this place I've never been. This place that this person is writing me from, or this place that this person is talking about. And you start going in, 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 smaller, 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 until you actually can see like cars parked on the street. If you go to your own house, you'll see who was there the day they took that picture. I'm still trying to figure out what that strange car in the driveway was. Can you imagine going down, when you, when you think of the world, and aren't we so conscious of the world? I mean, really, you go home, you turn on the TV, and there's news from all over the world. Syria, right? And Hollywood, of course. The White House. Decisions being made. Leaders leading and getting together and making decisions that affect us all. And then sometimes if we're nurse hounds, we listen to more and we get upset and then we slam things around. We put things in our ears, buds or these new things, and we listen to music that takes us all over the place and fills our head with ideas. And we tweet. And we Facebook, 
We post, you know, and we do all these things. We're so attuned to the big picture that sometimes I think, what difference can I possibly make? We would think Jesus would go to rulers and kings and high priests, but he goes to peasants and fishermen and ordinary people up in Galilee. Up in Galilee. And that is exciting because that tells me that where the kingdom of God is planted, where God's word is planted, it can be so life-changing that the kingdom of God can take root anywhere and begin anywhere and make a difference. And that says a lot not only about the Word of God, but it talks in great deal about the importance of hearing. Hearing and understanding. Hearing and having a change of heart. Hearing and obeying. Hearing and following. Hearing. Because you and I are to be a part of that kingdom. God is planting His rule and reign in the lives of people who will hear. And that's why this parable is so powerful and so profound. And why it's the parable about the parables. Because what he goes on to say, in every sense, is conditioned and depends upon the condition of our hearts. Our hearts. Let's uh, consider the soils, because parables invite us to inhabit them. Just like Nathan to David, Jesus tells parables because the story addresses us about crucial issues of God and His reign. The word kingdom, when we think of a kingdom, I've, at least I've been influenced by when I was a kid. You know, I watched medieval knights and castles and moats. And certainly a kingdom, we think of a territory. But we think of a kingdom as a noun. It's a static maybe even stale kind of noun. It has no vim and vigor and vitality. It's like a dry piece of toast. And so when you talk about a kingdom, you're not thinking about the exercise of rule and reign and power, the king exercising himself. But that's really the nature of this word kingdom. It's dynamic. It's powerful. The kingdom of God shouldn't conjure up moats and castles. It should conjure up God on the move. God reigning. God ruling. But the kingdom of God is manifesting itself in Jesus and in those who follow Him. You know, the word God in our culture and in our language has become stale, like a dried up old piece of toast. For some people, it doesn't mean much at all. But for those who hear His Word, God has a very living and vibrant connotation, image, power for our imagination. That's what we should think of when we think of the kingdom. So, 
the parable invites us to inhabit them and it causes us to ask the question, where am I in this parable? That's the nature of parables. And I hope I've illustrated that to some extent. I've certainly talked about it because the fact is, is that Jesus wouldn't have even talked in parables. Think about this. He wouldn't have even talked in parables if the hearers weren't to somehow be involved. If the hearers weren't in some way to be changed or altered by what he was saying. Because what he is revealing This great truth that he's talking about, these daring truths, are intended to have an impact that affects us personally in a very real way. Well, let's look at the first seed, second seed, and third seed. The first seed is in verse 4, and it falls on the path. It's hard ground, and so the seeds pluck it up. But he goes on to elaborate in verse 15 to his disciples privately, and we learn there that it is Satan who is represented by the birds that pluck up that that seed. It's taken away. Now, when we make the transition, we realize that God's Word sometimes falls on a hard heart because we have no interest or awareness of God. We have no openness to God at all to begin with. And that's the picture. There are some people who today, and this is growing, this is increasing. Uh, Atheism, bold new atheism, is, is really on the rise. And it's going to be more vocal, and more brash, and it's going to cause people of God, because they're going to shame you. They're going to cause you to feel as though somehow you're little or stupid. In fact, they're very, they're very brash about that. They'll call you stupid. They think you're silly to believe in things that you can't see or touch with your hand. Their life is limited to an a theistic materialism. The devil would like nothing better for you to rule God completely out of your life. And so he plucks it up very, very quickly. The second seed falls on the rocky soil. Now, I've been there. I've walked in these actual fields and there are thorns. Those that have not been plowed, there are thorns everywhere. I mean, you've got to wear long pants. And rocks everywhere. You'd break a shovel in that ground. But it's not talking about soil that is just rocky, but the idea is it's shallow. And when it goes to put down roots, it only goes down so far. It really doesn't get depth of root because it runs into rock. And it shoots up immediately, but the sun and the heat wither it. And it dies. And in verse 16 and 17, Jesus elaborates. Not only does he talk about the shallow soil and the lack of rooting, but he talks about how it's received joyfully. And what he says is what withers it, what withers the reception of the word is trouble and persecution, which is really antagonism. And there are going to be people who will oppose antagonize you for your adherence 
your devotion to God. And when you are devoted to Him and follow Him, that is a response to His Word. And the third seed falls among the thorns. The seed falls among the thorns and it grows up and it's choked out by weeds. Weeds that were not visible necessarily if the ground had already been plowed, but they, like the seed, grow and choke out. You remember the the, the wheat and the tares parable? Sometimes they grow together, but here it's choking out. And what he says is, this is quite interesting, he says the tares are the concerns of this world or age. And then he goes on to say, seductiveness of wealth and cravings for other things. Concerns of this world, seductiveness of wealth, and cravings for other things. That's very much real to us, isn't it? Because when you think about all the things that have, I mean, we're just never... We're hardly ever silent anymore. We're always listening to all the things of the world. And the world is determining our values. It's telling us, you know, hey, don't believe that sin is bad. You know, don't believe that doing this will hurt others. Do whatever your hearts desire. You know, pride, pride is good. Put yourself first in everything. I mean, the world is elevating these things, saying, you know, (laughs) the best thing for you would be to win the lottery. I mean, it does not challenge anything but the Word of God. And it's going to choke. It's going to throttle. If you don't have God's Word in your heart to question those values, those messages, those aspirations, It'll choke God's Word out. And there'll be no what? This is the only soil that's explicitly said bears no fruit. The other we knew. But here it says it puts down roots, it grows up, but no fruit, no grain, no product. That's how relevant God's Word is. Now look at the the good soil. This is interesting, I think you'll find. In verse 8, And I'm going to translate it literally. This is just the word order. The seed fell into the good soil and was giving fruit. And then it goes on to say, growing up, increasing, and yielding 30, 60, and 100 fold. Now translators often, I know we're influenced by our knowledge of plant science, what happens. So we rearrange it so it makes sense, you know. First then it grows up, and then it increases, and then it yields, right? It gives, but that's not the way the wording it says. It says it receives, and it yields fruit. It actually literally says giving fruit. And you know that is the way the word works. See, this is a parable. This is not just a simple story. Just a simple story, you'd say, well, you've got your botany wrong there, buddy. But this is a parable. When we receive the word, it bears fruit. Even after it starts bearing fruit, there's increase, there's growth, and there's yield. We continue to grow in Christ. That's why this is about discipleship, but it begins with hearing God's word. You want your faith to grow? 
Be faithful. Hang in there. Give God a chance to show you what his word can do. You know what a lot of times people do? They just reject his word. They don't even step out in faith. Because faith involves risk. Yeah, it involves going against the things that our experience sometimes has taught us. Like loving your enemies. Think about that. Jesus said, love your enemies. I, I don't know about you, but that goes completely against the grain of what the world tells me and my own experience. But what if I were to take God at His Word? What if I were to let that Word go deep into my heart and really begin to step out in faith and say, Lord, I'm going to love this person. Maybe you're married to that person. Maybe it's a feud. Maybe it's a friend. There are all kinds of levels. But you see the point. And when you actually step out, there's fruit. Sometimes we discover along the way, God is doing things through my faithfulness, through a heart that obeys and takes His Word to heart. Because God asks us to do actually good and beautiful things self-sacrificing things. And these things cut against the grain of all the messages, all the tears that are choking, choking, choking the reality of God in our lives. But if you want to know that, it'll start bearing fruit. And there will be increase, and there will be growth, and there will be further yield. Good soil bears fruit. Hear with your heart the deep demands of discipleship. What difference does hearing Jesus make? It makes a difference in our marriages, our feuds, our grades, our friends, our mistakes. Hearing. Hearing God's Word. Will you stand with me? Let me pray for us. You know, after I pray, if you would like to pray with me or some of the elders or their wives, pastoral staff, we're going to be up here. I know God uh, um, works in ways that go well beyond my ability or my effort to do justice and honor to His Word. He speaks through the work of His Spirit here and has already spoken. But if you would like to pray about some of the things that the Lord has spoken to you about, we invite you to come. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank You for Jesus. Thank You for the outpouring of Your Spirit. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You that You love us so. And Father, we want to take steps of faith. We really do. So lead and guide us. Show us our opportunities to be people of Your kingdom, operating in Your power according to Your economy wearing your uniform, and living for you. In Jesus' name we pray, and all of God's people said, Amen.